one of the most positive ways that we can parent our children is to look at things that we can do to build their characters more Christ-like. And I think that's the burden that we each as parents have, isn't it? That we want our children to be like Jesus. We want them to be Christ-like. We want them to be kind and loving and gentle. We want them to share, to be honest. We want them to be in the kingdom of God. And there is a call to us as parents that we must work to develop that little heart, that character that is within each child into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I know for my own self, sometimes we as parents get so busy... We mothers get so busy, so consumed, so involved that we really have very little time we spend with our children, even though we may be at home with them. Because there's so many other things to do that take our attention, our mental energies, and our thoughts of the day. And often, or all too often, we find that our attention we give to the children is uh, more on the side of correction than of direction. And if you found yourself challenged as a parent that you're dealing with a lot of misdeeds or bad attitudes or dishonesty or unkindness in the home, let's focus in on what we can do to build the character in a right way, in a positive motivation, instead of just working to stop the wrong behaviors and the wrong attitudes. And I found as a mother that the Lord challenged me in this. And I began to study in the Word of God the character qualities of Christ. And I asked the Lord to help me to understand how to interpret these to teach them to my children. I mean, I had the the theoretical understanding of these. But I wanted to know how I could teach these different character qualities in a young child. And I spent weeks and months in this process. And then as my children got older and they were now into the school age, fourth and fifth grade, I was challenged again because I still saw some of these areas weak. And I went back and I started studying it all over again. I said, Lord, help me to know how to cultivate your character qualities at this age. And so also as my children were in their teens... And it's, it's really been an encouragement to me in my life because we need constantly to be cultivating the characteristics of Christ in all of our lives in the home, don't we? And as we cooperate together and as we work together, we find that our experience and our association in the home becomes happier and happier. Communication starts to become more positive attitudes are better cooperation is better and we find joy in our homes and it becomes the happiest place we are and we enjoy the fellowship of our family as much or more than we enjoy anyone else's fellowship and that's the way it should be isn't it and then we come together as brothers and sisters in the church and the community says wow we want what you have because what you have is different than what we experience in our christian life Or maybe it's a non-Christian. Maybe it's an atheist. They think there is no God because they've seen no people who are godly people. That's the challenge God has given us and the privilege He's given us in this day to so represent His character that the people around us will want to have Christ to be their personal Savior. 
cultivating Christian character in children. And as I share today, it's, it, we're all children of God. And so the message that I'm going to be discussing, while it has an emphasis on cultivating these character qualities in children, also apply to us. And the same things that work for children work for us as adults as well. Cultivating Christian character in our children. And today we're only going to be talking about four areas. Now in the series, Cultivating Christian Character, I think I talk about 18 different character qualities. Today we only have time for four, but we want to discuss these because these, although we know about them, we often forget or we don't enter into really work to build these areas in the lives of our children. The first one I'd like to talk about today is that is the character quality of honesty. And as we discuss each one of these, what I'd like to do is to define the word and then look at the scripture principle behind it. And the scriptures are filled with different texts that have to do with honesty, integrity, truthfulness. And and when in my study, when I studied the, the character quality of honesty and truthfulness, I studied in Scripture all about the words. I would get the concordance and look up all the texts that talked about words, the kind of words we speak, our tongues. You know, it's that little member of the body, but it has a powerful effect for life or death. The tongue, our speech. So these are some other, other words that when we study the topic of honesty in our home as parents and with our children, and this is the exciting thing, as your children get older, we studied them together. This was their personal devotional time that, that part of their time I met with our children. This is not, was not family worship, that I would meet with our children at the end, 15 minutes at the end of their personal time, and we would study these character qualities, a different one each day. And we, we, find, we found that it helped us to grow together. So you may do it with personal devotions or in family worship as well. But these are some other words that we can look up uh, along with honesty. But let's define honesty. Honesty means truthfulness. Truthfulness in everything that we say. Truthful, sincere, our words are fair, they're just. And it's more than just our words, it's our actions. Stating exactly what has happened with precision, with no exaggerations, and no leaving things out. You see, human nature... When, and it is a part of human nature, whether a child or adult, when they want to share a story of something that happened, there's a tendency, isn't there, to exaggerate the, the picture so that it becomes more interesting or appealing or exciting. And if we allow these exaggerations, we're actually cultivating the, the opposite of truthfulness. We are cultivating a, a dishonesty, a lying tongue. That's what I found in my study. Truthfulness, like obedience and self-control, is at the foundation of character building for our children. It lies at the foundation. Parents have often come to me and said, my child has this problem and that problem, and they named six or seven problems, and they said, and I don't know where to start. And I encourage them, you don't have to start attacking or, or addressing all of these problems at once. Go to the basis of the problem, the root 
the lack of obedience, and the lack of honesty and self-control. Oftentimes, those three lay at the foundation of some of the other problems you're experiencing that may be behavior problems or attitude problems. So we work there. Honesty. As we read in our opening scripture today, the psalmist says, Let lying lips be put to silence. Lying and, and dishonesty, will be, there'll be no part in the kingdom of God. And we must cultivate honesty and purity of speech in the lives of our children. I gave you one example of often how we teach our children the opposite of what we desire by allowing them to exaggerate. Other ways we teach it is simply saying something to make ourselves socially acceptable. You go to church, and one of your friends has a new dress on. You say, wow, that's really a nice new dress. I like it. And then you go home, and you hear everybody at the conversation at the table, and somebody says, oh, did you see so-and-so's dress? And you say, oh, yeah. It, wasn't it ugly? Or some other way to describe it opposite of what you told your friend in church because it was socially acceptable. You want to come across in a positive way to someone else out there. And that's just an example. Maybe it's not something you've done, but evaluate your influence as parents in the home. Someone calls on the phone. Tell them I'm not here because you don't want to talk to the person. You are telling your child to tell a lie. You are commanding them, ordering them, guiding them in lying. And yet, so few parents recognize that our influence and the way we lead in the home is what is cultivating the habits of our children. So it's a call to our hearts to be honest. If someone calls and and we are not available to talk, our children simply say, we're not available. Because we get lots of calls. We came home from one trip I think we were gone five days, and our, our uh, machine said we had 105 phone calls that came in. Now, a lot of, most of those didn't leave messages because we tell people when we'll be back, and some are those telemarketer calls and who knows what, but we, we usually have plenty. And so we can't just answer the phone every time it rings. So we're not available. It doesn't say we're not home. It just says we're not available at that time. Our children take a message, and we try to get back to that person as soon as possible. <coughs> Lying and dishonesty is so much a part of the American culture. It's so much a part of worldly culture because it's a human weakness. It is, it is an area where sin has taken over and rules so much of the life, even in the Christian realm. I can remember being in Hawaii several years ago. We were doing meetings there. I had a stopover there on the way home. I think it was from Australia. And we were going to take our children to do a special activity. And they have these little activity booths that you can go and check into if we're going to go on a boat ride to see the dolphins or something like that. And you go up there and you get these little booths and you buy tickets. And so we came to the booth. We waited in line and saw the gentleman there. And there were five of us. And he looked and he said, how old are your children? And my husband gave the ages. And he looked at us and he said, oh, well, you know, two of the children will have to pay adult tickets because I think they were 12 and older, you know, and these kind of things. All of a sudden you're an adult when you're 12 years old because it makes the people more money, you see. Anyway, our girls, you know, they were more than 12. And the, and the man looked at my husband and said, uh, just tell me that they're all under 12. And my husband said, well, I can't do that. I already told you. I mean, maybe Emily's 13 and Allison was 15. I don't remember the exact ages. He said, but just tell me. If, if my husband or I would have just said, okay, they're all under 12, then he would have had an out, you see? 
he didn't want to sell us the ticket because then he would have been dishonest, right? So you understand what I'm saying? We try to work around these things. So if we would have said that to him, even though he knew the truth, he would have still sold us a ticket. So he would have been dishonest, but he was trying to get us to be dishonest. And we had several times, and he was begging us. I mean, this is going to cost you more money. I mean, you thought the guy would have been happy. But he was telling us, you, you really, you're going to pay so much more money. And we said, well, I mean, this is how old our children are. We're happy to pay the money. It's almost like he didn't want us to buy these tickets. And then he find, my husband said, well, you know, we're Christians. And the guy says, yeah, 95% of the people who come through here are Christians. And they tell me their children's age. And I say, well, just tell me they're 12 and under. And he says, okay, they're 12 and under. And I sell them the tickets. These are 95% of his audience that go through this process are professing Christians. And 95% of the people buy those tickets in a dishonest way. So we want to be honest and teach honesty in a world that's dishonest, in a world that's, that's uh, unchristlike. What are some of the things that cause our children? Maybe this is important. What are the things that cause our children to become dishonest? Maybe they're fearful of punishment. Maybe they're afraid if they tell you the truth that you're going to give them a very firm correction. And maybe because you're not spending enough time with them, the only time they're getting your attention is when you're correcting them. And now you ask them what they're doing and they don't want to tell you what they're doing because what they're doing they know isn't right. And so they just... You know, kind of step around it. They tell you a partial truth and they leave the rest off because they don't want to get in trouble. Evaluate. If you find your child lying to you, evaluate what is causing this. Find the root and let's root it out by its root and then let's cultivate in the true. Spend more time with your children. Commend your children always for telling the truth. Thank you for telling me the truth. It makes me so happy. doesn't mean we may not have to still correct the child, but we, we encourage the right that our child does. So look at some of the causes. Other causes that lead to dishonesty and lying in the home is teasing. Oftentimes adults tease, and they tease more in a social setting. Sometimes parents say, if you do this, I'm going to take you and pull you out by the ear and put you out, you know, or something like this. And they're really not meaning it. But it's a form of teasing. And for a young child, they take it as the truth until they they recognize my father or my mother don't mean what they say. And then you see your child and they'll tell blatant lies. And when you try to address it, they'll say, oh, I was just teasing, mother. Teasing is lying. The scriptures make it very clear. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and lovely and so on, think on these things as we think we speak. And so we want to work to cultivate honesty and truthfulness in the home. Then we, in our family, we've, we've worked to get rid of the kidding and the teasing. And I'll tell you, it's so much a part of human nature and some of the way we have been raised when we were young. It's almost a way of communication from an adult to a child that... I still, once, every now and then, I catch myself. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just said exactly what I meant and not given this funny little answer to be teasing. 
So we've had to address ourselves. Teasing leads to dishonesty. It becomes a comfortable form in which a child learns not to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because he's just teasing. It's kind of done in a fun way. And therefore, the Holy Spirit gets softer and softer and softer to bring conviction for, towards dishonesty. Making promises and not keeping them. Train your children to be dishonest. Oh, I'll be there in just a second. Time's up, mother. Say what we mean and then follow through. And, and I've had to address this. I'll say, oh, girls, I'll be there in a few minutes. I'll give myself a bigger space of time. And if I fall into one of these old sayings, I'll be there in a second. I'll say, you know what? Give me a few more minutes. Because I know I'm not going to be there in that time. Give our, make our word sure. Our promises keep them. And that's just a simple example. But other promises. If you promise that if your child has their school done on time, they're going to do something special, then do it with them. If you promise your child that you're going to go out and... and Take fresh air time and you're going to play I spy. Do it with them. Don't let other things come in and keep you from it. Keep your promises and you will help your children to develop honesty. Another cause of dishonesty in the home is just pure laziness. Slothfulness leads to dishonesty. The parent asks the child, did you do, you know, did you put your toys away? Uh, and, And I'll tell you one way you can tell. I think so. Either the child did or did. And I've heard many parents accept those kind of responses. And the child doesn't want to come right out and say yes because the child doesn't want to lie because they have, they have that much understanding. But they'll say, I, I think I did. Did you, did you put the tools away? I, I think so. Obviously, it's either a yes or a no. Let's help our children to be very clear. If you're not sure, go out and check and make sure. Oh, yes, mother, I did. And then they're, they're done. Or, well, no, I didn't. So let's look at developing an honest spirit and truthfulness in the home by rooting out the laziness because a child doesn't feel like putting something away before they go on to something else or whatever it may be. Um, did you do the dishes? Oh, yes, mother, I did. Did you put everything away neatly? Yeah, yeah, I think I did. And you open the cupboard. Now, usually the plates are stacked and the silver is put in the drawer. But if you, do you all have Tupperware cupboards or something, Rubbermaid cupboards or something, the plastic stuff? There is a tendency in those cupboards for everything just to kind of get, you know, tossed in because it's not going to break, it's not going to clatter, it's not going to be fragile, you know what I'm saying? And we've, that seems to be the, the cupboard in our home that needs the most attention. So we've worked on this. Faithfulness and honesty is more than just in our words. It's in how we conduct our work in the home. An honest person is honest in their speech. They're truthful in their speech. And they're honest in their work. That means how they do their work is done well and honestly. Honesty and work. If in our home, if a child breaks a dish, we've always encouraged them to come and tell us right away that they broke a dish. Sometimes you hear it. I mean, you know, what glass sounds like as it shatters across the floor. And help your children to understand that honesty is more important than the fear of correction. We don't have to give correction for, 
for accidents. But if it's slothfulness, maybe we, we can just talk to them or carelessness about it. Or maybe we'll say, well, you know, you were really being careless. I would like you to do the dishes again for supper tonight so you can show me that you're more careful. So you can give simple corrections if it's just absolute carelessness. But accidents do happen. I've broken things, not intentionally. A glass breaks. And don't let it be that it's, that it's a major issue if it's your antique glass bowl versus a you know, Walmart glass out of the cupboard. If accident is an accident, whether it's an antique bowl or a glass, the value of the article should not uh, make a different standard in the home. So we want to cultivate honesty. One of the ways, I shared ways that we often undo honesty and and we we actually are preparing our children to live dishonest lives and then how we can correct it. But I want to add some other things that help to cultivate honesty. And one of the things we found, especially when our children were, were younger and they loved to play and make believe, is that in their play... Cultivating honesty and truthfulness meant that they learned to play realistically. Now, that doesn't mean they can't play with imagination, but their imagination is real-life situations, not they're out on this planet way out here doing strange things, you know. When my girls were little and they were playing house, they had their dolls, they had their dishes, I would go and play with them and they were make believing their play what they saw happening in real life we always had our children play and and pretend like real life situations we didn't have our children be animals wild animals in the woods that would come out and devour the next child who walked out the door because that's not real life we help our children to realize they were created in the image of God as people they're not created as an animal So in their play, we had them play out their life as a child, as a person versus an animal. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to talk about it some more. Don't allow exaggeration. And I know that that's an area that probably most everyone in this room who's able to speak does, especially five or six and older. Now, a young child, they don't even know how to exaggerate. They, that's a learned behavior. Did you know that? It's a learned behavior because as we make the story bigger and more exciting, we get more attention and more notice, don't we? A, a two- or three-year-old child who's just learning how to do something just simply tells you what's facts. But as they get older, they learn how to embellish the story, to add to it, to make it this huge, grand experience. I saw a thousand birds on our deck today. Well, I'll tell you what, that day we had a lot of birds on the railing of our deck, but there weren't a thousand because a young child can't conceptualize a thousand. To them, it looked like a thousand birds. So we tried to help our children. There's a huge flock of birds on our deck. Or sometimes I'd help my children. Well, let's see how many we can count so they could get the relativity of what a large group of birds look like. Don't allow your child to exaggerate. Help them to bring it to reality of what's happened. If we allow exaggeration, and I've known parents who've exaggerated, and I've watched their children exaggerate, and you know where that leads? Always it leads. And we can go to inspiration and find this. 
exaggeration always leads to blatant lies, blatant distruths that are that are that are calculated to mislead. And there is little to no conviction of sin in the conscience. Exaggeration is the devil's counterfeit to honesty and truthfulness. And he has woven it into the Christian life as an acceptable form of communication. And he is dulling down the heart, the heart sensitivity from the Holy Spirit to have access to that mind under truthfulness. And we, we read that there's little to no conviction of sin. It means they're not sorry for what they do. And then they tell another lie and another lie. And they get bigger and they get uglier and they get more hurtful and they become more damaging. So don't allow exaggerations. Accustom your child to accuracy. That is, that is how we work with exaggerations. We accustom them to ex- accuracy. And some of the things we do, because it's exciting. Where we live in Montana, we get a lot of snow in the winter, and we live on the side of a hill. And so our road that goes down to our mailbox, which is a little over a mile away, is a wonderful sledding hill. And when you're sitting on a sled, and it's just getting dusk at night, and you're going to sled down the hill, you think you are going really fast. Try it. Get in a truck and go down the road at 50 miles an hour and then sit in a little sports car. You know what I mean? The closer you are to the ground, the faster it seems like you go. 150 miles an hour in an airplane taking off a runway doesn't seem all that fast. You're in a huge airplane. But 150 miles in an automobile, and I've never been that fast, but I will tell you, in Germany, my husband, we were there last year, and he had the opportunity to ride on the Autobahn. And my son encouraged him, Father, let's see how fast we can go because the speed limit is limitless, as fast as your car can go. And what were we, Josiah? 140 miles per hour. That was fast, let me tell you. You know, it was a lot different than being in an airplane at 150 going down a runway and 140 miles an hour in a car going down the Autobahn in Germany. I was praying. And I was watching, I was praying with my eyes open and watching all the cars go like this. And then my husband, he was very gracious to me. He only did it just to, you know, humor my son to see how fast the car could go. Make up a little time as well. Because I don't know, there's something on the guy, I think, they like those kind of things. But accustom your children to honesty and to accuracy. So when our children would get in the sleds to go down the hill, we would then go in the car. There's one place where the road widens, and I can drive beside them in our van while they're in the sled. Then I can clock them and give them a mental feel for how fast they're going. 20 miles an hour in a sled is very fast. When you have nothing around you and you're sitting on a piece of plastic. And for us mothers... My husband has a four-inch foam pad for the bottom of the sled. Or the older ones. He likes them, too. My children just sit right on the sled. But it's help our children to accustom themselves to accuracy. This will help them. When we read stories, we, we ask questions. What did they learn? And help them to pick out the high points of the story and have them share it back with us. So when they go and share other people the story, that we know that they have shared it with accuracy. Cultivating honesty and truthfulness in the home is very important. And I sometimes and all too often it's something we don't recognize 
enough that we need to be doing faithfully every day. The second area I'd like to talk about is cultivating courage in our children. Courage. That's being decisive to be resolute, to face difficult situations, to face dangerous situations, or sometimes painful situations boldly, following through with something even though it is hard and difficult and perhaps even painful. Courage means that we will train our children to stand for what is right regardless of what anyone else says or does. How do we cultivate courage in our children? They learn courage by us as parents. That's how they learn it. Are we willing to face the trials in our day with courage to stand for what is right? And I know many of us as adults have that challenge. Recently, my daughters and I were at some meetings and the presenter made a call and it was one of these calls that was really designed to meet the person who was struggling in their life they had been holding on to bitterness and and jealousies and things like that and they were not willing to let them go and the call was to have anyone who wanted to to let God take the bitterness away and to offer forgiveness to stand and come forward and pretty soon two or three people stood and more and more pretty soon nearly everyone in the room stood and went forward and I sat there Actually, we were standing. It was a call at the end of the meeting to deal with, you know, holding on to bitterness. And my daughter said to me, Mother, you're going forward? I said, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't have bitterness. I'm not holding on anything in my heart. I would be dishonoring God and lying if I was to go forward. But what do you think other people think? I said, honey, I don't know. That's not... That's not important what other people think of me because I'm not in front of the altar call. The altar call was very specific. So, so often we make decisions based on public opinion or peer pressure. So we, we stood there. And that was an encouragement to my girls to stand because I knew in their heart. I said, are you holding on? I asked, are you? No. Then why shall we go forward? It took courage to stand in that way for the fear of being misunderstood. Helping our children face difficult, dangerous, and sometimes painful situations with courage. Even in their play, we can help our children face things with courage. I am a terrible swimmer. Absolutely terrible. And when I was a young lady, before I was married, my girlfriend that I worked in the hospital with, we were both nurses on the night shift, she was going to take scuba diving. Well, she was my best friend, and I had nothing to do in the day except sleep, so I thought I'd take scuba diving with her, terrified of water. I could handle a swimming pool, but when I saw large bodies of water, sometimes I'd feel physically ill. I was so intimidated because I was such a poor swimmer. So she told me about taking scuba diving, and she, you know, I said, I'll do it with you, and she was shocked that I would do this with her. And I only passed the entrance test because they said you had to swim so many laps, but they didn't say it had to be the breaststroke. So I could sit on, float on my back and do this, and I made it. I was the last one in class. I think they let me in out of determination. But they, it helped me to gain some confidence in the water. Not that I'm a better swimmer, but in that class we learned how to snorkel. And I fell in love with snorkeling because I could be in the water and breathe, and that was a great relief to me. And I developed a love for snorkeling. And I remember we were in Mexico 
doing meetings in the Baja Peninsula of Mexico. And we had the opportunity, after the meetings were over, uh, the next day or so, to go to the ocean and snorkel in warm water to see colorful tropical fish. And my children had never had a snorkel, had never been snorkeling before. So we got the little snorkels out, and we gave them a little lesson, and we went out into the water. And it was very choppy. And they're all, they weren't good swimmers, but they weren't as fearful of the water as I was. And the water was really choppy. And one of them said, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. You know, and I took him by the hand. I said, you know, we can do this. And we practiced just putting our face in the water and breathing. And we got them out, and they were just kind of bobbing up in the water like this, you know. And they were kind of enjoying it. And then one of those big waves came in and filled the snorkel. And they came up sputtering. And then we helped them, you know, learn. And, of course, natural reflexes to spit it out and, you know, gasp a little bit. And they were anxious. But we kept them there, and we held on their hand, and we, you know, helped them to develop the joy of snorkeling. That was took courage. Training courage, being with your child in something difficult, encouraging them, being patient, and, and, and uh, helping them through these, these difficult things. In the school lessons, I remember because we travel a lot, Josiah and our children were always accustomed to whether we're in the car or on the airplane, school had to go with us. And so the way the airplane seats are designed, it's usually two or three, and then the next part of the family either sits across the aisle or directly behind or in front. So he was doing school. He was sitting behind my husband and I, and he got out his English book. And in that lesson... One of the, the first thing the assignment talked about was to open the Bible and read a certain passage and then to do the English assignment based on those scriptures. So he read it. I didn't know what the English lesson said. This is probably fifth grade or so. Because I, I didn't read the lesson. He was just, you know, self, self-directed, self-motivated. He was going to get his school done. And the next thing I noticed, he's reaching down under the seat, getting his little sack out, and he brings the Bible, and he sets it down on the little tray there in front of him, and he starts reading. And there was a man sitting next to him. And the man started a conversation with my son about reading the Bible. Now, I talked to Josiah after that, and I said, how was that for you? You know, to bring your Bible out on the airplane, you're a little boy, and there's this man, and, you know, you don't really see very many people on airplanes reading Bibles. We saw one on our way here, one lady, out of three flights and lots of people. You rarely see that. And this conversation, he said, yeah, it was hard for me, but he said, I just, that was what was in my lesson, and and I just knew that's what I should do. And he did his English lesson, but he had a wonderful conversation with this man sharing about the Lord. And it impressed that man that a young boy would have the courage to read a Bible on an airplane. Conforming to what's popular. I went to one, we were at one church in the youth group there. We were entering into the youth group and we went in there and every single girl in that youth group had a black mini skirt and a white blouse on. A few of them had pierced ears. They just looked like groupies. And it probably only took one girl who was popular to set the pace and everybody followed her example. Courage would mean that if the most popular girl in your youth class wears a miniskirt and, and, and you don't believe miniskirts are modest, that you come to class in a modest apparel. doesn't matter if you fit in. What matters is that you honor God and that you stand with courage even amongst your peers and not fall into peer pressure. 
See, none of those girls in that room had the courage to stand alone. They all had to be the lookalikes. And we see that today in society in the fads of fashion, don't we? If the pants are too big and falling off, everybody wears them because that's what's in. Now, if you would have asked them to put on those pants, you know, five months before it was fashion, they wouldn't have been found anywhere with those pants on, right? And if they're skin tight, they just kind of hold their breath and get them on and then they wear them because that's what's in fashion. God wants us to cultivate courage in our young people that we can be what God wants us to be and not have to be what the world is becoming. If we don't teach our children cultivate courage, we're going to be training them by default to follow whatever the world is finds fashionable and whatever's popular. And you know what's popular? The loss of eternity. We want to cultivate courage to prepare our children to stand for Christ in eternity to be ready. We were doing meetings in a church in the Cook Islands, South, South um, Pacific. And we went into the church and we were actually not even doing meetings. They were on our way to Australia and we had a few days. And so break and we, we thought, well, on our way in, we'll spend a few days here, get some fresh air, relaxation, sunshine. We went, found a church on the island we walked to. There are a lot of churches on that island. Rarotonga. And we went in there that Sabbath, and the man stopped up front, and he, he looked at us, he greeted us. They were speaking their native tongue. As soon as we walked in, the whole conversation, the whole service changed to English. That was nice of them, because we didn't know what they were talking about otherwise. And so as we were there, the man said, it looks like your family's a singing family. Now, how would he ever have an idea like that? Well, he didn't, I mean, you know, we just, we're listening to what, the program. So he asked us to come up and sing and tell us, the people where we were from and what we were doing so we shared and before we got done we were doing meetings that sabbath evening and the next day this was our little rest period before we started you know a month's worth of meetings in australia anyway the lord has a nice way to work it out but we were standing up there singing and the youth in the church were all clumped together in the back corner as youth often do because they want to fit in they don't have the courage to sit on the front row try sitting on the front row in your church youth You'll enjoy your service better. You'll get more out of it. And you may find some of your friends coming and joining you. Anyway, they're all sitting in the back. And as soon as we started singing, they looked at our three. Because our three children were all teenagers. And they, they knew they're all about the same age as this group back in the back. And so the, they had the most weird contortions on their faces that they were making to try to distract my children. And get them to you know laugh or be embarrassed. Or quit singing because, you know, in church, of course, that, this corner of the church wouldn't sing because that wasn't cool. And so my children just sang and they smiled, they looked right at them, and never stopped reaching out. And before that weekend was over, several of the youth wanted to come and talk. And they wanted to talk about spiritual things, they wanted to talk about their heart with Christ and having courage to stand for what they knew was right. So let's cultivate courage in our children so they can stand as representatives for the Lord. We haven't always had every experience in our family uh, a success for courage. We've cowered. Sometimes as parents, we've cowered. And sometimes our children have cowered. But let's, when, we, when we fail, we should stand up, get up, confess our wrongs, discuss it in the family, and then encourage one another for the next opportunity. And God will always give us another opportunity. Always. When we fail, He gives us another chance to do it right the next time by choosing to connect to His power.
may not be the exact situation, but it will affect the exact weakness in our human heart. The third area I want to discuss today is kindness. How do we cultivate kindness in the home? Isn't that just kind of spontaneous? Because we're all born and we all live in the same family. We're born in the same family and we, we, we're a family. We love each other, right? So we're just naturally kind to one another all day long. Is that how it is? That's how it should be, right? And when you start to experience kindness in the home, that's the way the home becomes. Cultivating kindness. Kindness is tenderness and understanding. It's easy to be kind to a friend, somebody who talks nice to you, somebody who does something nice to you. But what is it like to show kindness and sympathy and thoughtfulness to others who wrong us? To others in the home who don't, uh, you know, maybe you're so close to them, you just don't really think they appreciate it. Kindness goes beyond just being nice to somebody because they're nice to you. Kindness, the way the Bible describes kindness, found in Ephesians, Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 32nd verse, he says, Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And forgiveness and kindness are inseparable. If you are a forgiving person, you have learned part of what it is to be kind. If you are kind but unforgiving, you are not kind at all. Forgiveness and kindness are inseparable. As the Apostle Paul says, be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, and then he defines it, forgiving one another. Kindness in the home. How do we cultivate kindness? We found ways that, that could encourage our children to be kind. So one of the things that I did early on was to, as the children had their regular chores to do, I would say, today I'd like you to do one surprise for mother. Okay, one surprise. That means the child can be creative in their mind of something they can do for mother. And almost always, it's interesting, one surprise. I did not define that that surprise had to be kind or nice, did I? But almost always, intuitively, your child will understand an act of kindness. If I say one surprise for mother and they bring in six Tonka truck loads of sand and dumping on the floor, which has never happened. You need to un- help your child, you know, get some deeper understanding. There's, there's more there than that kind of surprise. Almost always a child will naturally look to do something special and nice and kind for you. Maybe it's just going down and, and um, going into the kitchen and cleaning the crumbs out of the silverware trays. I don't know how that happens. Do you have this happen in your home? You, you wipe your counters when the drawers are closed, right? That's the way we do it in our home. Put the crumbs in the hand. Sometimes they do fall on the floor. But we get it into our hand, and then in a few weeks you open the drawer, and the drawer is full of breadcrumbs. I don't know how that happens. I have yet to figure it out because the countertop co- totally covers the drawer. But that happens in our home. And I'm not sure how, but a kind act, and I've seen this done, you know, one of my children will just quietly go, when I'm not around, go into the kitchen, open the drawer, pull out the silverware tray, take the silverware out, dump out the crumbs, wash it, dry it, put it all back, five minutes, are all done. And then we as mothers, and they can be for fathers too, we have to go like a hide and seek. We've got to go find their surprise. And I tell you, children are very creative. Sometimes you have to spend more time looking 
than it took them to do it. But it's exciting. And those little surprises that you engender build kind acts in the home. It motivates the children to find the joy of doing something special, of service, of usefulness for someone else. Sometimes we as parents do surprises for our children. Cultivating kindness. Sometimes if my husband and I are going to be in town, or sometimes it's just me going to town when our children were old enough to be at home alone to do their school lessons, and they didn't have to go to town and go from here to there and everywhere, then I would leave a note of the list. These are your school assignments. This is your chores. You know, you have your blocks for your free time and fresh air. And I put on there one surprise. Again, I come home and I would have to go on a treasure hunt to find that surprise. Look for things that we can do to cultivate kindness in the home. One mother sent me a letter after hearing this message. She said, you know, love is lacking in our home. I see that. And she really had a burden that she wanted love with her young family to be generated, to be more natural, to be more spontaneous. And so she wrote, well, in her letter she wrote that she went to the Lord and the Lord revealed it's a lack of love is why you're not having kind deeds. Kind deeds help love to grow one for another. A, a sibling doing something kind for the other sibling. And so she said, she said, Lord, what do I do? I mean, the, the Lord just encouraged her, make it something interesting and fun for your children. So she set, she had the thought, get construction paper, crayons and scissors, and go to the table. So she got her, her family, got the construction paper, scissors and crayons, and went to the table. The next thought she had was, let's color hearts and cut them out. So they colored hearts and cut them out, and then she was clear what she was to do. It's interesting that God sometimes leads us step by step. We don't have the whole picture all at once. But God can lead us step by step. And so as she was, as they were doing this activity and they'd gotten all these, this, this whole pile of little colored hearts, she went over to the, into the kitchen and got two jars out. She put all of the hearts in one jar. Those hearts represented deeds of kindness. The other jar was empty. And she said, what we're going to do in our home is we're going to look for ways to be kind to one another. And when you see a sibling or a parent, one of us doing something kind, when somebody does something kind for you, you can say, oh, that was nice. Would you put a heart in the other jar for me? And she said in just a short time, the original jar was empty, the other jar was full, and their home radiated with love and kindness. Simple things we can do. Motivational, cultivating kindness. There are many ways we can do that. One of those is to help our children understand how to have a forgiving spirit. True kindness helps our children to understand how to have a forgiving spirit. If somebody does something wrong accidentally, it's easier to forgive, isn't it? Now, human nature still likes to hold out and say, Well, you know, you really did mean to do that, didn't you? No. We teach our children how to forgive, but when somebody says something or does something intentionally... Why is it harder for us to forgive? Because we know they meant it, right? And it hurts. You know, Jesus was hurt more than any other man who ever walked this earth. And it was intentional. And his last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, did they know they were driving the spikes? Yes, they knew it. 
They knew with every blow of the hammer, their attitudes, their heart was seething with, with revenge and hate. But they didn't understand the effect it had on them, themselves. And Jesus prayed for forgiveness. Some of those men accepted that and asked to be forgiven. And I believe some of those men will be in the kingdom of God. And some of those men continue to harden their heart. It doesn't matter whether it's an accident or intentional. We need to teach our children how to forgive. Not to hold grudges. Forgiveness is not a journey. Forgiveness is not a process. I've recently heard somebody, forgiveness is a journey. How painful. How painful to the one holding on to the bitterness and animosity. Forgiveness is a decision, a conscious decision by faith and allowing God to change us from within. I love you. I forgive you. I hold it not against you. One person says, I forgive you, but I won't forget. My Jesus says, I remember their sins no more. That's the forgiveness God wants to teach us. Cultivating forgiveness is a way we cultivate kindness, not to hold grudges in the home. And we always help our child to see, as we have seen it in ourselves, when we have an unforgiving spirit, we are unhappy, we are miserable. When we want to find freedom and happiness and joy and peace, we let God work in us something we cannot do. And we give forgiveness. And we love that person who intentionally hurt us. That's cultivating the area of kindness. The last area I'd like to discuss is cultivating meekness. Have you ever thought of what it means to be meek? I used to think meek meant everybody could do anything and just walk on you. And that was a meek person. But the Bible describes meekness through the life of Moses. Moses, we're told, was the meekest man who ever lived. You can read about him in Numbers chapter 12. His meekness, even though he was a great leader, he never held himself above others. Isn't that interesting? He never held himself above others. He was meek. He was teachable. He was humble, but he honored God, and he had courage to stand for what was right and not be moved. And that was part of his character. Meekness with courage perfectly blended. Moses was meek. He was hid truly in Christ. Meekness goes very closely with respect. Meekness is not loud and showy and dominant and me first and my way. Meekness is humble and teachable. If your child is resistive to what you have to say, if they're always boasting about what they do, then you need to cultivate meekness in that child. We had a family visiting us. We've had lots of families visiting us, but this family had three children. And the middle child was a child who was naturally an energetic personality. And he was naturally uh, self-focused and selfish. Selfishness is not meekness. It's the opposite. A selfish person is not a meek person. Meekness means that you are selfless. And this little boy was very, very domineering. He was very loud, very showy, very demanding. If we we sat down for, for family reading time in the evening, he was the one who wanted to pick the story at worship. He's the one who wanted to pick the hymn at the table. He's the one who wanted to get the bread first. In everything we did, he wanted to be first. He wanted his way above everyone else. That's selfishness. That's the opposite of meekness. 
He, he wanted to control the conversation. But we've had a lot of experience in these things in our own home and working with families, and we've learned how to not humiliate, but to help teach and, and to show something better. So as we worked with the family, and particularly this child, we said, you know, tonight for worship, we're going to let your brother choose the hymn. This evening for family reading time, your other brother will get to choose the story. For recreation, we're going to let somebody else choose. And we help the child to see that developing meekness, which again kind of corresponds with kindness as well, that he could allow others to choose and to go first. That if he, if he demanded food at the table, we would wait till he would ask politely. And that others would be served before himself. And you started to see the boy starting to relax and not be so intense. The parents saw the contrast. We also noticed that a, a child who is very self-focused and does not understand meekness, but is very proud and boastful and showy, also in that boasting, which is very uh, outward, we have a little saying in our home, he that boasts the boast will fuss the most. And we've seen this 100% of the time. A child who is very boastful and, and pride-filled, when, when something happens to them, they get hurt or something crosses them, they are the loudest to tell you about their wounds and to cry and to fuss and bemoan. It's a, it's a natural corresponding. So if your child is very fussy and always this, you have to look at it because he's so boastful and pride-filled. He that boasts the most fusses the most. And so with this child, we noticed he accidentally fell and got hurt. And I tell you, he made the most out of that scene. He was fussing and crying, I can't walk, and this is really hurting, and on and on and on he carried until he had the attention of everybody. And we've helped our children see, you know, they get true understanding and true sympathy but we're not going to drool if you understand what I mean we're not going to just overdo on a simple little thing that really isn't that traumatic we have to help our children learn that little things happen and we can move on from those well the parents saw this and it was interesting because we've known this family for years and I want to tell you this young man He's, he's a lovely youth now. His heart is dedicated to the Lord because of the work of his parents in cultivating the character of meekness in him. He still has his natural personality, but energetic, enthusiastic. He's just full of life. And he's, he's an excitable person. But he, he's accurate in how he presents a story. And I remember uh, meeting up with him at a family camp a few years ago. And here he was standing with his two brothers. And he just stood there, and there was so you could see it in him. Here's so much he wanted to say. But he let his brother share, and then his other brother share, and then he shared. And he was so tender, even in his exuberant personality, so thoughtful of others. He had learned what it is to be meek, and it was a tremendous encouragement. Time with God helps our children to become meek. If you want to develop meekness in your children, you take them to the book, Christ Our Savior as a Little Child, and you read with them how Jesus dealt with people, how tender and compassionate and sensitive he was. Or for the older child, challenge him with Desire of Ages. Even a 10-year-old can read Desire of Ages and get a tremendous blessing. Time with God personally helps to develop a meek and quiet spirit and cultivate the spirit of meekness. 
As I thought back over these four character qualities, I thought, is there a Bible character that exemplifies in their life these four qualities? Now, obviously, we have many positive examples, don't we? Of men and women and children, just like us with our human weaknesses, who have found power in attaching themselves to Jesus Christ. And, and accepted his, his wisdom and His grace to overcome the weakness of humanity, the sinfulness of the flesh, and it's very encouraging. But I, as I thought back over these four qualities of honesty, meekness, courage, and kindness, I thought of Daniel. That's who came to my mind. And if you read in the book of Daniel chapter 6, here he is. He's the first of three presidents under the, the monarch of the world, the world-ruling power, Darius. Darius is on the throne. Remember, Daniel came as a slave boy, a captive from a, into a heathen land who had no God. And he learned from his home training these qualities that he brought into that kingdom. He was so honest and he was so implicably honest that that is what advanced him. His character was so noble, it advanced him as a slave to a position of honor and power. He's next to the king or the pharaoh or the ruler himself. And under him, there were three princes or there or presidents. And Daniel was the top of those because of his honesty of character and all of his character qualities. But you remember, these other guys who were supposed to be equal but not quite equal, they didn't like it, did they? They had a complaint to make. But they knew if they went to Darius and complained that he wasn't going to listen to them. Because Daniel's character was so beautiful and attractive. So they found another way to get their malicious, selfish desires met out. And you know the story, right? Daniel knew what was going on, but he never responded. In kindness, he never responded to their, their deliberate, deceptive plan. He, he illustrated kindness in how he responded to his co-workers. He had courage that when that decree was signed that you could only pray to the king for 30 days, he had courage to go home and pray where he'd always prayed, in an open window could have rationalized it like we would rationalize look lord you know i'm praying it's in my heart you know i'm really busy today and king Darius needs me to do this and i really don't have time right at noon today lord he had courage to stop what he was doing to go back to his usual place and to kneel in front of his window and pray to his god in heaven that's courageous and then he went to the den he went to the den in meekness and humility, he submitted to the consequences of that decree. He didn't go, Darius, this was a deceptive plan. You ought to put these guys in prison. He meekly submitted to the consequences that the law demanded. And he was placed in that den. And then who was praying? We know Daniel was praying, but who else was praying that night? The king himself, right? God wants us to cultivate in these character qualities in our homes, in our lives, by our examples, and into the hearts and into the character of our children that we can, like Daniel, 
have a powerful influence for good for the kingdom of God. To his honor and glory, not for us, but for him. All heaven is about honoring God, not self. We're not going to be saying, hey, look, I'm here. Isn't that great? Our whole focus in heaven will be to honor, to love, to serve God with reverence and humility and joy. So I pray that as we as parents look at the wonderful opportunities we have been given, that we will cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit. We'll spend time with Him in His Word and in prayer, and we will cultivate earnestly these character qualities that our children can learn the joy of being Christ-like. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.